Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Our mini-series focuses on people who recklessly transmit HIV. But we need some balance here because we don't want people to be fearful of those living with the virus. There are approximately 37 million HIV positive people in the world and we featured less than 20. We don't want anyone to be under the illusion that recklessly or intentionally transmitting HIV is commonplace. It's not. HIV medication stops people living with the virus from passing it on to others. We call this being undetectable. And it's one of the reasons that HIV rates are falling and why it's so rare for people to be prosecuted. But when people do appear in court, the media attention often causes fear and stigma. So our series is about setting the record straight. Every week. You can begin. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Welcome to... Oh, hold on. Now look. <laughs> Welcome to the HIV podcast. You Hooray! wouldn't think something so simple would <laughs> be so difficult to announce. I know. Well, people probably would have heard because we changed, we updated the jingle a few weeks ago. Obviously, I mean, that was a bit of a nightmare in itself, wasn't it? We had quite a few technical issues trying to re-record the jingle. It would just, I feel like we lost the will to live halfway through. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> well, people might have seen that. If Obviously, we've started an Instagram account. So if you're following our Instagram account or our TikTok, because we felt the podcast really needed its own home. You'd have seen how recording the intros just descended into Sarah's karaoke session. I don't think there was anything wrong with that. In fact, I think I was pretty good. The noise that came out of that microphone. Wow. But yes, yeah, so we have decided to simplify it because obviously it was, you know, HIV heroes, then HIV history, HIV crime. And we sort of thought, where will this end with adding to the title? So now it's just the HIV podcast. No, I think it's much better. It's perfect, actually. Makes much more sense. Do you know what? Some people are a bit, well, I am one of these people. Give someone a microphone that actually looks like a microphone, which yours does and a scream <laughs> power crazy suddenly believe they can sing i did push you out of the way well absolutely but you were hogging the screen i've just got a big head it's not <laughs> hogging it's just a large potato head it's just the way it's like this this is my moment and i'm going to prove to everyone that i can sing and wasn't it i mean just... i can't so that was upsetting but it doesn't matter 
Well, Sarah, I enjoyed it. Other people enjoyed it too. Oh, I've got other housekeeping to do actually as well. Do you like that? I'm calling it housekeeping now. I don't know why. Yes. Don't know where that term comes from. So also just to mention, as well as the Instagram and the TikTok that we now have, where we're sharing, you know, little clips and behind the scenes of us recording and all sorts of things like that. Also, I just shared that we got to number 72 in the USA non-profit podcast chart, which is amazing. That is amazing. Wow. So we're sharing things like that, but we're also putting all of our podcasts on YouTube. And that doesn't mean we're putting them with a video or anything like that. It's just going to be the audio up there. But it means that obviously with Spotify or iTunes or any podcast platform, you sort of have to have an account and sign up. And maybe some people don't want to. They literally just want to use YouTube to do it. So we're in the process of doing that. Um, We'll obviously Mm -hmm. let you know when they're all up there because it's quite quite a mammoth task. And the last bit I have is a little shout out. Look at me doing shout outs. Wow. Okay, go on. I know someone got in touch with us from the Long Term Survivors Network. And I'm I'm really hoping it's Jesus Gullien or Julien. Nice. I am so sorry if I have pronounced that wrong. Um please do let me know if I have and spell it phonetically for me. Um <laughs> and he had messaged us saying love from himself and the HIV Long Term Survivors International Network. Oh, wow. I know. So thank you for listening, guys. I think they're in America. So they're going to be part of the people who are listening, who are getting us into those podcast charts over there. Thank you. Aren't they lovely? I know. And if you, if anyone else wants a mention, just drop us a message. Get on Instagram, drop us a message. Yes. Do you know what? I think that's the best part of doing this is when people do message, either to say they're loving your work or could you include this or, you know, anything like that. It's it's just brilliant because it makes it all worthwhile. So we'll always give people shout outs. Absolutely. Yes. Please do get in touch with us. So it's a whole new world now, guys. We've just gone bananas, you know. TikToks and Instagrams, YouTube shout outs, just what's happening? Are we getting more professional or less? <laughs> I think we both know the answer to that. Let's not <laughs> dwell on it. <laughs> okay, we're still in crime land, yeah? Yes, we are. I won't do the crime voice again. We've all had enough of that. Yes, we have. Look, that actually traumatised me when I hear that voice. Yes, we are still looking at HIV and crime. Well, crime as in reckless or intentional transmission, not just people with HIV who've committed any crime. A bit long-winded that was. And this week we're looking at we're looking at another case in the UK. It's the last case we're looking at in the UK. And it is somebody called John Rodney, who was diagnosed uh, with HIV in August 2003, but continued to have unprotected sex with women until 2017, when one of the women he'd slept with went to the police because he because she believed he'd infected her with HIV. Okay, well, that's. A, I suppose we don't know if he was having unprotected sex that whole time. No. What we do know is that he lived in Swindon, so just over the border for us. His case took two years to bring to court. And this time, we're going to look at the case from the police point of view. So what did they do to bring this man to justice? We both love being detectives. I feel like it's going to be a long podcast because I feel like there must be so many things they had to prove. From what we've learned from all the other ones, this must have been a massive case. A huge amount of work went into this. Absolutely phenomenal. Excellent. Let's use another word. Just a huge amount of work. A phenomenal. Yeah, that's the one. Went into um, kind of bringing this court um, case to court. Oh, no. What's happened? I literally, it's every time I say that we're being more professional. Remember no, last time, your screen went purple. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, let's not have that happen again. Although I know why that happens now. I just, I don't know how to fix it. I don't think you can fix it, actually. I won't bore any, everyone with the details of it, but I do know why it happens. And I like it. 
Okay, so in June 2017, a woman contacted police to say she had been infected by Rodney. Her account, along with police intelligence, led to them believing more women may have been infected too. The case was led by DI Helen Jacobs of Swindon CID. And the main challenge for the police was trying to manage the risk posed to other victims faster than the criminal justice system would allow them to remand Rodney in custody. In other words, could they pull the case together quickly enough to ensure he didn't infect too many more women? Basically, it was a race against time. Oh, this is very exciting. I know. Be more exciting if I can get my words out. Uh, people won't believe. I'm actually just reading this. <laughs> I've got notes. And you can't even say, oh, it's been a long day because it hasn't. We've just begun. Yeah, we have just begun. But, you know, I'm going to strive to do better. It's fine. Right. So Rodney was first arrested in July 2017 for GBH and he was issued with um, a disruption notice. I've never heard of one of these. No, I haven't. So it's basically served to people who police believe pose a threat to individuals or potential victims. But as D.I. Jacobs says, it's not really worth the paper it was written on. They did it almost as a warning to say to him, we know what you're up to, kind of in the hope that he'd go, oh, right, okay. Oh, in like a serious way, rather than literally going around there and saying, oi, sunny Jim, we know. It's a very formal way, I suppose, of saying that, right? Is that the point? Yes, it is. But there's not much you can kind of do with it because without proof that you're um, kind of breaching it, you know, where do you go with with it? Even, you know, so you can suspect someone isn't going to stick to the notice, but you need hard evidence to prove it. So that's what she means when she says it's not really worth what is written on. It's because, Mm. you know, if you're going to prove that he's breaching his disruption notice, you might as well prove that he is doing GBH. But they did. It was like a warning to say, we know, we know where you're at with all of this. The next step after that was to issue him with a sexual risk order or SRO. And that's a bit like an ASBO. And it gives the person restrictions on their behaviour or movements. So in this case, on their sexual behaviour. I've never heard of that. Nor have I. Who knew these things even existed? Maybe we should explain what an ASBO is. Antisocial behaviour order. They use it for, you know, kind of young people if they're kind of hanging around town centres, causing a nuisance. Um, And you can use it to ban people from hanging around where they were, you know, being annoying kind of thing. And you can give curfews and things like that, can't you? Yeah, so you can say to someone, I don't want you to go into Reading Town Centre between, you know, 6pm and 6am, for example, um, and you have to kind of clearly define what you mean by the town centre. They're quite onerous to kind of produce Mm. because you have to be really clear in how you want to restrict that person's behaviour. And you also have to be really clear about why you're doing it. What's the purpose of this? Um, And it's the same with an SRO, a sexual risk order. But all orders like this are kind of, it's a fine line, isn't it, between being too prohibitive and you risk breaching someone's kind of human rights or being too vague. And then you've got the same problem as a disruption notice and it's it's not really worth doing. So I think they're rare. My mind's just a bit blown. I'd, what they literally can say you cannot are they saying you cannot have sex or you cannot have unprotected sex like what, do we know what the details are I know I'm asking you a lot of questions but no they didn't give the details of what was contained within the order but it would be something along the lines of you can't have unprotected sex with women for example or you can't have well yeah I suppose that, that would be it really wouldn't it what else could you say 
it would have to be because otherwise, like you're saying, you're bordering on breaching someone's human rights. You can't just say, right, you can't have any sex, that's it. So they're ramping it up a bit because they're trying to restrict his kind of movements in a way, aren't they? And they can't do this on their own. The police need to get approval from a magistrate's court to do this. And they, they got that. It was approved by the magistrate's court. But at the same time, D.I. Jacobs obtained something called an exercise of disclosure. You can only get that from the chief constable. And it's basically to anyone that's identified at being at risk from John Rodney. It's permission to reveal his status, which again was approved. So what they're trying to do is quite an astute move. She's trying to restrict his liberty alongside identifying victims and potential victims. So she's trying to minimise harm. I can see that, but that must be really hard. Who would they class as like a potential victim? Is that someone he's dating? Do you know? Okay. So that's a really good point, actually. So the police worry was that there was no other way of protecting and safeguarding a very vulnerable group of women in Swindon. They're referring to sex workers. Not all the victims were sex workers. We should point this out, but some were. So they're thinking his most likely move with an SRO in place is to contact women that do this for a living. And they're trying to stop that from happening. Because you're right, you can't stop him from having sex with everybody, but they're trying their very best to contain his behaviour and minimise the risk of him passing on the virus. What a juggling act to be doing and putting this case together. And Jesus, like you're saying, it's like a race against time yeah no it really was and I think it's well thought out isn't it I mean I think you always think that when police are kind of looking at cases like this they just want to get the guy and and put him in prison but they they've got a much more holistic approach to this haven't they they're looking at the community who are at risk they're trying to stop him from passing the virus on to anybody else they have to do all of that but they are so so good on her and her team for thinking in that way yeah, and, and they're taking all the necessary steps rather than just saying, right, do you know what? We just felt that in this situation we had to disclose his status because we felt this person was at risk. They've gone a step further than that and mm. actually got, is it the court order? Is that what it's called? Or I don't want to say injunction because that's not the right word, but the, from the chief constable that says they can disclose. So it's not just that they've said, right, on my judgment, I've assessed that this person is at risk. They There really are so many layers to this where you can see they've really got all of their duties of care down. Yeah, absolutely. Team of officers reached out to over 50 women to confirm whether any of them had had sex with Rodney. If they had, they were supported by trained officers. If not, they were informed that he was HIV positive. So they're letting them know that if this guy comes up, don't sleep with him or have protected sex with him. Right. They're trying to do as much as they can. Well, they're giving them the tools to protect themselves, aren't they? Yeah. And, and mitigate. And I, think, I mean, it's an unusual move, isn't it, to kind of break someone's confidentiality to, what's the word I'm looking for? Protect? Disclose. Oh, sorry. We are so you're... in tune today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a big move to disclose someone's HIV status because that's confidential, isn't it? But they're doing it in this case to protect other women. Yeah. And he's been given warnings to kind of modify his behaviour. So um, none of this should be a, a surprise to him. So they took these steps after the SR thingy, the order that like their sexual ASBO, I'm going to call it. That yeah. Thing. So they've given him all the warnings. Yeah. And then yeah, they went for this. Sexual ASBO. <laughs> That's called, but I'm calling it a sexual ASBO. <laughs> SRO. You know, I prefer sexual ASBO. They should probably use that from now on. After they've done all of that, so they've got their their kind of court orders in place. The next step was obtaining a blood sample from Rodney and blood samples from his victims for analysis. 
And they used a team of experts from the University of Oxford, and it was all done within 24 hours of obtaining them. And one of the problems with other cases is that it takes a long time for the blood samples to be analysed. Not here. 24 hours. And the analysis showed the women had the same strain of HIV as Rodney. So now they know that he is the one that has given them HIV. Well, as far as they can tell. Yeah, because in the first episode, that's what you had talked about. There were a few levels, weren't there, of things they had to go around proving. And this is just one of them. That's it. Yes. So, of course, they've got to rule out other sources of infection. So um, blood transfusions, IV drug use, any other sexual partners. So they have to speak to the women that have been affected by this. And those interviews, I mean, obviously, they're very intrusive, aren't they? Um, And it's with a group of women that are fairly reluctant to divulge much information so it had to be handled really really sensitively they called it mapping out and they looked at between three months and three years of past sexual history and it took a huge amount of time and they had to be accurate because this is the crucial evidence that they need to pull the case together because as you've said from the first episode there are criteria that have to follow and it's got to be beyond reasonable doubt that he was definitely the one that gave these women hiv do we know how many women he infected Oh, now I you you can ignore me if we're coming to that later on. I can. I think I mention it later on when it goes to court. I will be patient. Yes, please do. Okay, so they're doing all of this. They're kind of getting the history from the women and they're trying to make the link between him and them. There's another way police obtained evidence, and that was using his sexual risk order. So one of the requirements of that order was to inform the police if he had sex with anyone. It's quite a restrictor, isn't it? And the police were made aware that he breached that requirement um, and they heard about that through, they they call it local intelligence. Quite like that. I might like use that for everything we do. Got intelligence, Jess, that we need to do a funding bid. (laughs) Local intelligence of a sexual ASBO occurring. (laughs) So basically someone, someone's grasped him up, haven't they? And said that, you know, he's still having sex. And there was another condition on the SRO. And that was that he had to have monitoring software on his computer. Now, he refused the police access to install the software. And that meant they were able to arrest him because he's breaching his SRO. That's one of the requirements. They arrested him. They examined his computer and they found evidence of him on there having sex with other women. So like he had I'm assuming, recorded it or are we talking like video or photos or things things like that? They just said they found evidence of him having sex with women um, and it was the proof that they needed that he breached his sexual risk order. Oh, wow. I suppose it could even be emails or you can have WhatsApp on your computer now, can't you? So maybe it's even chats where it's very obvious that they've had a sexual relationship. Oh, so he he sort of gave them the, well, what's the word I'm looking for now? He gave them (laughs) the... I want to say impetus, but it's not the right word. He gave them the cause to arrest him. If he, I suppose, well, I suppose either way, if he'd given them the computer, they'd have seen. But exactly, so there's no kind of way out of it. But the fact that he refused, uh, well, we're going to arrest you for that then. And then they check the computer and they find this evidence, um, and he's jailed for those breaches for two and a half years in October 2018. So he's off the streets now. He's no longer a danger to women. So, so they're still building the case of transmission. But in the meantime, he's been remanded into custody. Do you like that? I'm getting off on I the do. legal terms because just of the breach. OK, fine. Yeah. So now you can see why she wanted that SRA put in place, because she's just looking for any means that she can to get him off the streets and into prison. So it worked a treat. And while he's off the streets, the police can now focus on building this case 
around transmission, as you say. Well, without having to be constantly concerned and monitoring what he's doing and who he's having sex with because clearly we see nothing was going to stop him no absolutely not I think it's a very clever way of doing things and it worked so their workload is is kind of reduced in that respect they can focus all their attention now on bringing this case to court and they they had a huge task on their hands because they wanted to ensure any woman that had come into contact with Rodney was able to get tested. And those that they didn't know about already, so, you know, they pieced together who they know he's definitely slept with. Obviously, there are some women they don't know about. They want to make sure that those come forward as well and are identified um, so that they can get tested. So what they did next is they worked closely with the sexual health clinic and with public health. So D.I. Jacobs says we knew sexual health and medical records would hold a lot of information and a lot of potential for risk management. So, again, she's looking at how to protect these women and get them identified and tested at the earliest opportunity. So she says we work closely with both parties to not only identify those that had been at risk, but to make sure that sexual health were working with us effectively to be risk managers. Now, we know we've been doing the job a long time. Police and sexual health don't often work very closely together. And had the police not informed sexual health of their investigation, then, you know, sexual health team wouldn't have known anything about it. Because both organisations are really highly confidential, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they wouldn't have had any need to, I was going to say, be chatting, but as in they're not going to have that contact. No, there's no links established there at all. So again, an unusual move, but necessary because they shared information. The police gave details of the case and the sexual health team went through their records to see if anyone may have been at risk by Rodney. And it proved really successful, a really good way of working because the police say they couldn't have put the evidence together without their cooperation and risk management would have been almost impossible. So good on both organisations for doing that because it's rare. It doesn't happen a lot, does it? I think... D.I., is it Helen? Yes. No, I don't know her, so I shouldn't call her by her first name, but I can't remember her surname. (laughs) Oh, Jacobs. Jacobs. I feel like she had approached it, and obviously the sexual health clinic would have worked with them anyway. You know, they're required to um, in times like this. But actually, I think the way she had handled this case probably made it very easy. Like you're saying, it's a real holistic approach with this for the sexual health clinic to understand where they're coming from and, and make it an easy way to work together. Do you understand? You know what I mean? It's you can agree with what they're doing and the approach. Absolutely. Yes. And I think we'd be the first to be like, oh, breaching people's confidentiality around their diagnosis, talking about people's sexual health history. But in this case, absolutely right and unnecessary in order to kind of bring the case to court. And it did go to court. He admitted three charges of inflicting GBH by recklessly infecting three women. He was sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison, eight of which would be served in prison and the rest would be served on licence. So for anyone who doesn't know, on licence means that you're allowed back out into the community, but it's got quite stringent conditions. And if you breach those conditions or break the law in any way, straight back to prison. He's going to be let out on licence with conditions, right, after eight years. And of course, everyone, you know, has the right to reform and all of that. But if he didn't care before, what will change moving forward about him having the unprotected sex do we do we never know why he did it or did he just not care or just not think about it or I don't think they know because why he did it and we don't know from this whether he's been put on the sex offenders register happened with Daryl Rowe or what the conditions will be when he is released from prison so yeah it's a good it's a good question but hopefully if the prison would address it I I doubt it well you hope 
maybe getting some help at some point to try and address this. And I guess because he's out on licence, they will be keeping a closer eye on him. And it was a popular decision to sentence him to prison. People in the public gallery clapped when they heard when the sentence was announced. But one thing I think we need to look at is, is as we've just touched on, he was prosecuted for reckless transmission, not intentional. And that's been kind of a bugbear, really, hasn't it, throughout this crime series? is if you're going to say something is intentional, you have to be able to prove a motive, which is very difficult to do if the defendant isn't going to tell you what their motive is. So the CPS explained why it was reckless and not intentional. They said it was an exceptionally complex case to prosecute. As the GBH cannot be seen in the same way as, for example, a stab wound, it's inevitable that detailed scientific and medical evidence will need to be used in trial. I mean, I don't. it's not a good explanation. It was complex, so we went for a lesser charge. And also, remember when we talked about Daryl Rowe, where the prosecution said intentional transmission is akin to stabbing or shooting someone, yeah. whereas here they're saying we can't compare it. So there isn't, they're not in, in tune with each other here. And that's frustrating because even with Daryl Rowe, I suppose he sent messages, didn't he, to his victim saying, I've got HIV, lol. And they did find the tampered with condoms, didn't they? But then, like you're... but then he's got an SRO, hasn't he? That he's been warned not to do this, and he's still doing it. Surely, so that's that is, intentional. Yeah, that is intent, isn't it? You know, you shouldn't. Mm. You, someone's explained why, but you're still doing it. Oh, you're right. And they still went for reckless. They did, and it was. I mean, the police were pleased with the result, obviously, because he's in prison. But they were also really, really frustrated. So D.I. Jacob said their frustration lay in the fact that the law doesn't really fit a crime like this. And that's kind of a common theme throughout crime crime series, really, isn't it? She said one of the issues we had, and it was very hard to explain to the women involved, was that it didn't meet the criteria for Section 18 GBH with intent. We could only ever consider reckless. The frustration was that they knew it was intentional. As the legislation stands, this is reckless. As the lawyer put put it to me at one point, we've got more than enough evidence to prove the intent to have sex. What we haven't got is his motivation or his intent to deliberately infect those people. So like we're saying, yeah, they don't know why he did this. And I suppose any conviction at this point is better than no conviction. Yeah, I think. But for the for the women, it was really tough. You know, one of the women who'd had sex with Rodney asked him outright if he had HIV and he lied and said no. Even that didn't constitute enough to prove intent because it's his word against hers. That's so hard because, yeah, that there's I suppose we still don't have the motive, even if we know that he's literally doing it what's the motive yeah exactly so as di jacob says you know we always knew we were going to face a lower sentence than the women involved felt would be appropriate and i think we're the same it's like no it should have been a harsher you know there was intent there definitely yeah i really feel for them yeah i do I mean, as I said, the police, they were happy that he'd been found guilty um, and they did feel the judge understood the legal restrictions around sentencing in this case because the judge went for the higher end of the range of sentences, op- sentencing options for this. So that's a kind of plus point, I suppose. No, definitely. So the law in Scotland is different to England. You remember from Daryl Ray's case last week. So in Scotland, you can be prosecuted for putting someone at risk of infection, even if there is no transmission. In Rodney's case, the police knew he'd had unprotected sex with women, but they tested negative, which didn't constitute an offence in England, but it 
would have done in Scotland and therefore would have ramped up the seriousness even more. So it would have been a very different case if it was tried up there. Absolutely. And the police feel there's scope for change in the law to ensure people aren't receiving lesser charges because of the difficulty in proving intent and to ensure those that have unprotected sex but don't transmit HIV are covered by the law. Something about people being you know, reasonable and responsible for people and for those that aren't, a more proportionate response in the law, they feel that would be the way forward. And D.I. Jacobs says they had to put so much time, money and resources into getting a result far more than in other kind of similar cases. So other cases of GBH she's talking about. And she feels it would be far simpler offence because it's a blatantly reckless and harm causing. So again, she's asking for the law to be changed, something more specific for this type of offence rather than trying to fit it in with other offences that aren't kind of similar. You know, the CPS are saying... In one case, oh, it's the same as stabbing someone. On this case, they're saying it's not. So there's confusion, isn't there, that needs to be kind of sorted out so that people can understand how serious the case actually is. Yeah, it's far too ambiguous. Yes. But I can see there are challenges as well, aren't there? So if we adopted a similar law to Scotland, how do you prove if someone disclosed their status prior to sex? Could it lead to false prosecutions? It's not easy. Exactly. And do you know what? I weirdly, I don't know how I feel about all of that because. Like we're saying, could it be that people end up in a real your word against someone else's when they haven't contracted? And you're saying, well, hang on, I told you. I just think that it's that makes it a very grey, difficult area to look at. Yeah, it needs a lot of thought, doesn't it? And I don't know. I haven't looked into Scottish law. I don't know if it has to be more than one person that comes forward. Got no idea. You'd hope so. But there you go. We've looked at the challenges of police facing getting cases like this to court and the hard work they put in to ensure Rodney was put in prison. So well done, Wiltshire Police, and well done, D.I. Jacobs. Yeah, that was awesome. I love that she's also there at the end calling for the law to be changed. It's not just like the case is over, let's move on. She's like, no, you need to go back and relook at this because this just isn't going to work. I know, it's perfect, isn't it? Mm. Perfect's a weird expression, actually. But she's clearly, she was very good at her job because um, she's got him prosecuted, but she clearly thinks about the wider picture. So I know sometimes the police get bad press, don't they, around cases like this, or why did it take so long to get to court? And But you can see the, the work that they put in and the thought they put into this case hopefully proves why it can sometimes take so long to get cases like this to be prosecuted. Absolutely. And I think often, like you're saying, the police do get a bad rap and they have a bit of a reputation, especially in cases like this, of being slightly maybe handling it the wrong way, being a bit full in a china shop. But from all of this, you can see it was handled so well. I know. So there you go. We're done. It's good to know. We keep saying it how much work goes into these cases. It's not just Mm. that someone rocks into a police station and says, that person, you know, I contracted from them, we had sex, and off they go and arrest that person. That is just not what is happening here. And I think it's good that where you've sort of taken us is from right in the beginning and looking at what it was to then those early cases. Now we're seeing how it's evolved and now to see things from a police point of view as well and how they will treat those cases and look at them. I think that's so beneficial for all of us. So thank you. You're welcome. Oh, what what episode number is that? Is that four? Five. Five. So we've only got one left. Yes. Oh. Yes, we have. Not one left yes, forever. No. So next week, we are looking at cases around the world so we can compare how other countries do things. Amazing. Do you know what? I hope you're proud of me because earlier I wanted to interject with a slightly irrelevant piece of information and I held back. I'm doing it now. (laughs) Go on. 
you know that dogs can get asbos? Can they? Honestly, yeah, dogs can get asbos. What, the dog, not the owner? So, well, they, no, it must be the owner. Dogs don't go to court. <laughs> can you imagine if they did? Oh, little bow tie. <laughs> so cute. Um, I'd be like, just let them off. They're amazing. Look how sweet he is. Yeah, so I suppose it must be the owner, but it's about the dog and it is called an asbo. So you can have them for barking. Oh, my God. Yeah, but then again, I don't know how you would... Obviously, maybe you'd go to a behaviourist or something like that. So I was going to say, how do you can't forcibly stop a dog from barking? But also, if they bite somebody or things like that, they can get an asbo. So that they can't really? go, you can't take your dog, I think, into a crowded area. I only know this because somebody I know, their dog bit someone in a town centre. And then the police came around and they got an asbo. So that's where my knowledge comes from, everyone. Don't take it as gospel. No way. I thought if your dog bit someone, they just put it down. No, I think because it wasn't basically this dog went for another dog and a lady's leg was in the oh, way. Oh, I see. So it wasn't that they were literally going to attack you. And I think it's quite, I don't think they do necessarily always put the dog down. I think sometimes they do. But yeah, you're basically, the law has changed now. We keep talking about the law evolving. Where as it, they used to just put the dog straight down. As an owner, you're now held legally accountable for what that dog does. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Anyway, I just thought I'd take us off on that tangent. And I'm just so, I was like, hold it in, Jess. Don't do it in the middle of the episode. Wow. I like that they don't put every dog down. I mean, obviously, that's my go-to, isn't it? Just put it down. It's awful. Well, to be honest, I, I can't tell you for for facts that they don't. It's just I don't think they do. I'll go and look into it, but I don't want to be giving everyone all the wrong information here. But, you know, control your dog. Well, it's like your dog's got an anti for two years, and in that time it can't bark in public or something. I think so. It's um, I'll have to go away and look it up. But, yeah, I do know a couple of people who have said my dog's got an anti Dog oh, Asbo. Gosh. Dog Asbo UK. Yeah. Can a dog get an Asbo? New dog Asbos will be introduced for owners for out of control pets. So the first time police and town halls will be able to demand that owners take action to prevent dog attacks or risk a fine of up to 20 grand. Cats. Did you say cats? Did I say cats? Dog attack, I think. Oh, attacks. I was like, <laughs> you can't give an Asbo to a cat. Yeah, and this was literally from 2014, so it's been going on for a while. But I think it's where some people have their dogs, you know, off the lead and let them kind of run around and go bananas. But anyway, I've taken us off on a dog tangent, which I didn't quite mean to do this much. I still want to stay with crime and and HIV. That was a good episode. Thank you. And please do, everyone, go and uh, check out Instagram page It's um, and TikTok. It's the HIV podcast. Everything's so simple now. Everything's just the HIV podcast. Okay, we're done. We are all done. Um, but yeah, please reach out and say hi to us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to give you a little shout out. So yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.